In Christchurch, four years on from the earthquake, which completely transformed the city, many are surprised at the slow pace of recovery. Three-quarters of the former central city is still largely out of action, with damaged buildings now largely gone, but few signs of their replacements. And in the suburbs, thousands are still waiting for home repairs to be completed. This week's Insight reports from Japan on how quickly cities there have managed to get back on their feet. <laughs> Onagawa in the Tohoku region on a beautiful, cool, crisp winter's day. On the day I visited the harbour, the sea was almost completely still and fishermen were readying their boats to set out to sea. But in 2011, less than a month after the devastating earthquake hit Christchurch, the town was destroyed by a massive quake that generated destructive tsunami waves. I'm Rachel Graham and I've been in Japan visiting towns and cities in this coastal area to see how quickly they are rebuilding and also in Kobe to gauge its progress 20 years after a major earthquake. Sasaki Satoko, who runs an inn in Onagawa, speaks about the day her town changed forever when it was shaken by a magnitude 9 earthquake and then hit by massive tsunami waves, some taller than the lampposts. When the earthquake struck, she was with her elderly father, who had experienced a tsunami in Onagawa before, and he reassured her that it was going to be OK. She set off to pick up her two children from a local school. Another two were in schools further away, before heading back to the house to pick up her parents. Somewhere in between the school and my house, I saw a car coming in the opposite direction, and the driver gestured, go back, go back. That was the sign the driver gave us, and I just wondered what happened. And then I saw the tsunami approaching behind the car. So I saw a drugstore and a parking space free. I went in and made a U-turn, and I saw in the distance the tsunami at a distance of 15 metres, and I told my children, don't look back, don't look back and I kept driving. She sped up a nearby hill as fast as possible, and from there, she watched in horror as her town became engulfed by the tsunami waves. The houses down below were burning, and I saw some explosions at different places, and the sky darkened, and there was fire falling from the sky. So on top of the hill, I believe there were about 50 people, but nobody spoke. They just watched the scene in silence. She went up to a higher spot where she'd previously arranged to meet her parents in the case of a tsunami, but they weren't there. When we reached there, I didn't see the car of my parents, so that somehow I felt that I would never see my parents again. She was reunited with a third child three days later, and for five days she didn't know if her eldest son, who was at a high school in Sendai, was alive or dead. For the five days after the disaster, I didn't know whether my other child was alive or not, but I didn't cry in front of my small children, so the only place I had my privacy was in my car, so I went back to my car and I cried inside. But on the fifth day, my son appeared. I just cannot forget his happy face. Onagawa was a town of about 10,000 people, 
nestled into a bay with a bustling downtown full of office buildings, shops and restaurants. After the tsunami struck, 827 people were dead and 70% of the town's commercial and residential buildings were destroyed. I met the mayor of Onagawa, Yoshiaki Suda, at the new civic building and he took us to see how construction is progressing in what was once the main commercial area. All around is bare land, with the only obvious sign of progress being the new groundworks underway and a collection of large machinery parked up. So can I just check what was here before? All the housing. Houses and the shops. He took us up a hill to overlook the main construction site and the area where his home once stood. The focus so far has been on lifting ground levels and relaying roads and services. But even now, the commercial area would not be safe in a tsunami like the one that struck in 2011. That is said to come once in a thousand years. But for the lower area, the, the commercial area, okay, it's safe for the tsunami that is said to come once in a hundred years. So, okay, if the, big, uh, the tsunami as big as the previous one comes, okay, evacuate mm -hmm. and have a good, insur good insurance. In Christchurch, reconstruction in the central city has been very slow, with the main rebuilding going on on the fringes or on the government's anchor projects, such as the justice and health precincts. Navigating agreements with insurance companies, widespread demolition and weariness over the government's blueprint for the central city have contributed to the slow rebuild. In Onagawa, the local council has had financial support from the central government, as Christchurch has had. But it's also trying to pay for a reconstruction when its population and tax base has fallen by about a third down to about 7,000 people. Mr Suda says he's delighted to see the roads going in and the town's new train station and hot springs are expected to be open by the end of this month. But, as in Christchurch, progress hasn't been as fast as they would have liked. Uh, we cannot say, uh, we, can, we cannot be 100% happy or satisfied, but okay, uh, what I do is, if, uh, after I see the construction finish, completion of the roads, okay, this makes me very happy, made me very happy. Uh, but still, uh, what I, right now, what I have in mind is to complete this area by March. The town is also constructing new residential land at a higher level and hopes to soon make it available for purchase for those who want to rebuild. In Christchurch, 80,000 homes have been either repaired or rebuilt under earthquake commission or private insurance cover. But that leaves over 10,000 homeowners still waiting for repairs to be finished or even start. In Japan, earthquake insurance is still quite uncommon, with only about a quarter of households having the cover, so people largely have to finance any reconstruction or repair themselves. 
In Onagawa, the local government bought the land from people whose homes were destroyed. And people who want to rebuild in the town can get 2 million yen from the national government, about 20,000 New Zealand dollars, and 5 million yen from the local government as a contribution towards reconstruction. But with 75% of all housing destroyed, there is still a huge need for temporary housing. Currently there are nine complexes in Onagawa, housing around about 1,000 households, including the mayors. Uh, this is a structure, okay, not, you don't, you cannot, we cannot expect to find this kind of structure at every temporary housing. This one donated by the uh, Ryuichi Sakamoto, well known musician, and YMO. Are you familiar with the Yellow Magic Orchestra, YMO? One of the members, Saka, Ryuichi Sakamoto. He donated this structure. The complexes were designed by Japanese architect Shigaru Ban, who also designed Christchurch's temporary replacement for the Anglican Cathedral, known as the Cardboard Cathedral. On the day we visited, a group of older women were doing Tai Chi in a large marquee in the centre. Some people have been living in the homes for three years now, and the mayor expects they may be needed for another three. The apartments are available rent-free for those who need them, Though services like power and phone are paid for by the residents, but they're not exactly spacious. So here, about the size of one apartment, there are three different sizes. The smallest one, 20 square meters. And the next, second, middle one, the 30 square meters. Largest one, the 40 square meters, the floor areas. And for the for apartment, for the 40 square meters, on for the people with the five people. In Christchurch, people turn to shipping containers as a quick solution to reconstruct shops and cafes. And the Restart Mall, made out of these readily accessible metal boxes, is still the main sign of recovery in the central city. In Onagawa, residents also looked at innovative ways to get back in business quickly. Sasaki Satoko was one of four local innkeepers who have gone into business together after their hotels were destroyed in the tsunami. They have established a temporary hotel based in big rig trailers, with a major advantage being that they were quick to set up and can be moved when the council wants the land they're on back as a park again. She showed us round the trailer hotel rooms. So if we say trailer house, it's not part of our culture. So uh, we think, okay, trailer house, oh, it's kind of the camping car, camper, uh, camper. Uh, but when they come and see, oh, it's just like the hotel, you know. Another business doing its best to keep going in Onagawa is the Takamasa Fish Cake Factory. Beautiful. Nice. Mm. Yeah. Mm. some different things, yeah. Mm. Okay, this one made from the white meat, fish, and uh, this is some cheese. Mm, it tastes cheesy. Mm. Cheese. Cheese. Masaki Takahashi is the director of the family company, Takamasa & Co., which was only weeks away from starting construction on a new factory in his hometown of Onagawa when the earthquake and tsunami struck. His business is now the biggest private sector business in Onagawa, and he says he felt a huge responsibility to keep going and keep paying his workers. One thing I talked with my father about was that if we have one employee, that means he or she has a family. So then our pay can feed not only our employee, but their family, so maybe three people. So we have 200 employees and each has a family. So 200 times three, so 600 people. 
Our pay can support 600 people in Onagawa town. That means that 10% of Onagawa town can be supported by us. That is what we can do. Masaki Takahashi says the biggest challenge in maintaining his business has been the incorrect rumours which are spread around Japan that a nearby nuclear power plant, not Fukushima but another much closer one, was damaged in the earthquake and that the fish in the area has been contaminated. The reason why some people say I'm a murderer is because they say Onagawa is completely contaminated. And in this contaminated town, this man produced kamaboko, fish cakes, and ships it all over Japan. So he's a murderer. And some even say in five years, ten years, other people will get sick or die due to the consumption of your kamaboko. So can you be held responsible for that? To combat the rumours, they bought their own radiation counter so they can test all their product and reassure their customers. An hour and a half's drive south of Onagawa is the city of Sendai, with a population of just over one million people. Its coastal area also suffered serious damage in the tsunami, and hundreds of people were killed. The city's civic leaders are now considering a plan to change the land use in the most vulnerable areas. Professor Fumahiko Imamura is the director of the newly created International Research Institute of Disaster Science at Tohoku University in Sendai, which was created in response to the 2011 earthquake and tsunami. He says the founder of Sendai, Date, set up an area of Greenbelt with the express purpose of limiting the potential loss of lives in a tsunami. But in the intervening centuries, people have built in the previously planted areas. Now there is a local government proposal to create in the coastal area a red zone with no buildings and a yellow zone with no residential homes. So depending on the uh, land use planning, so some of uh, the houses should be moved, but uh, others might be kept uh, to uh, install the new protections. So, but uh, this is still discussion uh, with the uh, residents. And, yeah. and so a yellow zone is mm. there, well, and that would be perhaps potentially just sort of a working space, not a living space. Yes, okay. that's right. Okay. So we have such kind of the zoning uh, according to the different tsunami risk level. So this is a new idea in Japan. However, Professor Imamura says the plan is not very popular with people who live in the affected areas. And as time goes by, he fears enthusiasm for the plan is waning. And just after the ask tsunami, uh, people feel they need more safety. But now going to change for ordinary life, including the business. Japan has the most advanced earthquake early warning system in the world. At the Japan Meteorological Agency in Tokyo, Scientific Officer Tetsuyuki Wiyama explained the functions of the command centre, where Japan's fault line and volcanoes are monitored and where warnings are issued when a quake is felt on one of the thousands of ground monitors. <laughs> that alarm was only to notify a systems error. But if a major earthquake occurs, people in this office will send out a warning via television and radio and to mobile phones within seconds of a major shake being picked up on the monitors. The cell phone app is so common that Tokyo residents said it was like every cell phone in the office went off simultaneously when the warning came through on March 11, 2011. But on that day it wasn't enough to save the lives of 15,889 people who died in the earthquake and subsequent tsunami. One of the issues was that the size of the earthquake was initially underestimated as a 7.9, when in reality it was a massive magnitude 9.
Mr. Wiyama says in the Mayagi area, some people got the warning but thought they knew what to expect and were overly confident that they would be safe if they took the usual precautions. The tragedy is that for the inland area, people did not evacuate immediately after the uh, occurrence of earthquake or the receipt of the tsunami warnings because uh, uh, Tohoku area experienced so many times uh, that tsunami in the past, but uh, these tsunami are much lower than the event uh, that occurred in 2011. So in the past event, the tsunami did have not hit the inland area. Mm -hmm. So that's why the inland area people uh, consider they are safe even in that great earthquake in 2011. He says people need to have enough of an understanding about the risks to make their own decision about what is needed to get to safety. So I'd like to introduce the story uh, that occurred in the Kamaishi city. And uh, in that city, <coughs> there are children uh, in the schools, there are elementary schools and the junior high school uh, at that time of the occurrence of a large earthquake in 2011. And uh, they evacuate uh, immediately after the occurrence of the large earthquake to the evacuation, uh, designated evacuation point. But uh, they uh, judged by themselves to evacuate much more higher places after uh, even they, uh, they reached the designated evacuation point. And then uh, they survived at the large tsunami. At the Meteorological Service, one of the ways they endeavour to increase education about natural disasters is with its Meteorological Museum, complete with child-friendly displays. <laughs> One display shows the way an earthquake's primary waves and the more destructive secondary waves travel across the land and the different impact they have. Kobe is a city which has learnt the hard way about the damaging impact of an earthquake. On January 17, 1995, 6,434 people died and 65,000 buildings were completely destroyed, and almost as many partially destroyed, when Kobe was hit. The 6.8 magnitude earthquake, known as the Great Hanshin Quake, sparked hugely destructive fires which raged across the city. In a bid to ensure people learn from the disaster and are better prepared to cope in the future, the city has created the Kobe City Crisis Management Centre. The day before we arrived, the centre had been instrumental in organising a city-wide earthquake drill, which had widespread coverage on the television news. The centre had been proposed for many years, but it was not opened until two years ago due to budgetary restraints. Part of the centre includes a display of what people need to have to be prepared to handle a disaster, but our guide, Ayako Tanaka, says even in Kobe, people are increasingly ill-equipped. So what we are worried about is that people forget, and now it's only 20 years ago that it happened, and now 44% of our citizens were born after the disaster, and if we don't do anything, people will keep forgetting and forgetting. Kobe also has an earthquake museum, including a recreation of a street scene in the moments after the earthquake, with houses crashing down around you, sirens and alarms going off, people crying out, and fires blazing in the distance.
the night before the 20th anniversary of the Great Hanchin earthquake, families of those who died gathered in the Higashi Uenchi Park to listen to music, pray, and to discuss what can be done to ensure people are prepared for any future disasters. Ojima Magiwa was three years old when her father was killed in the earthquake. She feels strongly that Kobe should lead the way in ensuring that Japan learns the lessons from past disasters. If you look at the streets of the townscape, it's almost fully recovered. And now it's the 20th anniversary, but it's not something we can forget about. So this kind of event should be initiated by Kobe City, and not only at this time, but also around March 11, so that Kobe should be the one who initiates this kind of activity so we cannot forget what happened. As an adult, Ms Majiwa has made a point to volunteer in other disaster-affected areas including six months in Sendai after the earthquake and tsunami. She says this has driven home to her the need to learn from the experience. I often visit disaster-stricken areas, so in the area that was hit in March 11 in the northern part of Japan, I spent time there as a volunteer for six months. I really felt the importance of telling of the experience to the next generation who have no experience of this. So if you say disaster prevention, that's a big concept. But what I say is just tell them to protect the people who are important to you. So then it's not a big concept, but it's just working together to protect ourselves. On a cold, dark winter morning, thousands started gathering in the park in central Kobe in preparation for the anniversary of the moment at 5.46am in 1995 when the earthquake hit and destroyed much of the city. The park is the site of the Earthquake Memorial Monument and the Great Hanshin Earthquake Memorial Flame. As the crowd grew, a flame was taken from the memorial torch, which is always kept alight, and then people passed the flame hand to hand, lighting candles and lanterns in memory of those who died. At the moment the earthquake struck, a bell tolled, followed by a moment's silence. Kobe today is a bustling city of one and a half million people and it's difficult to see any signs of the earthquake which caused such destruction. The only physical reminder is a piece of wharf damaged by the earthquake, which has been left untouched. Later that day, I met with Nishida Tutsuo, the weekend editor of the Kobe Daily newspaper, the Shimban, which is now based in a busy mall in the city centre. He says on the surface, Kobe may appear to have completely recovered from the earthquake, but the damage is still there. So as for the infrastructure, maybe probably much better, better than the time before the earthquake. But in some area like the Nagata world, okay, this is quite very not so good, and for the shopping streets, quite devastated. And some people would like to go back, but still they cannot. That's the situation. In Kobe, at the peak of the disaster, over 200,000 people were staying in emergency shelters, 
and block after block of housing had been destroyed. In Christchurch, just over 7,800 homes were red zoned, and the owners have had to start again in different areas, with a government payout for their property. In Kobe, there were special loans for earthquake victims, but many people had to finance their own rebuild. The government also brought in land rezoning to pay for the rebuild of homes and infrastructure, which meant that where there was once, for example, a dozen two-storey homes, there is now a tall apartment block built on a smaller area of land. Kobe's Nagata ward was one of the worst affected areas and was particularly hard hit by the fires that ravaged the area. At the time of the earthquake, the Takatore Catholic Church in Nagata helped coordinate volunteers and set up a community radio station to get information out to local people. On the 20th anniversary of the earthquake, people were again gathering at the Takatore Community Centre to remember that day in 1995. Junichi Hibino says the radio station was a way to reach the ethnic minorities who weren't catered for by the mainstream media and to get specific information out to those living close by. He says the earthquake has continued to have an impact on the local community, particularly people who were forced to move because their homes were destroyed and they couldn't afford to rebuild on the same site. At first glance of the town, you see the city seems to have fully recovered. However, what has been conducted here is land readjustment or urban renewal. And I sometimes wonder whether that urban renewal, redevelopment, was based on the residents' wishes. I believe it was necessary for a very fast recovery, but clearly the focus was on infrastructure. So actually what we have now may not be what the residents wanted it to be. On the day we visited, some of the volunteers who first came together 20 years ago were reuniting over a glass of wine, some food and lots of laughs, as they remembered the work they did together all those years ago. Many of the people have stayed in touch, meeting up each year on the anniversary of the earthquake. But Masanoa and Tomoko Aoki made an even more significant connection. They met while volunteering and have now been married for 13 years. Miss Aoki says 20 years on, she feels sad at the changes in Nagata. By appearance, by looks, everything seems to be restored, but still I feel sad about the people who used to live in Nagata, in this area, and had to leave, but so far they haven't come back here. Some of them left the area and started a new life, so they've established a life elsewhere, and so they're unlikely to ever come back here. While the physical damage in Kobe has been repaired, it's clear that even 20 years on, the city is still scarred by its experience in the 1995 earthquake, and that people still mourn the city and the life that they lost in the disaster. In Christchurch, where I live, people are still only just coming to terms with how long it will take for us to get areas like our central city back, and with the reality that once a city has been through such a devastating disaster, it will never be the same again. I'm Rachel Graham, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send a tweet at rnz underscore insight.